Good morning. It's good to be here with you again. Uh, I am going to beg your indulgence a little bit this morning. I'm kind of hoping that my voice holds out for the rest of today. I have, uh, was at a men's retreat at Rock Lake Christian Assembly speaking for the last two days. So uh, I've preached more in the last uh, uh, two days than I have in the last two weeks. Um, and uh, uh, I, don't worry, I still have words left. I just don't know if I have voice left. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, as, we, as we get into... Um, uh, our message today, I, I want to tell you about last week. Uh, last Sunday, as we uh, talked um, about being pure in heart, and we talked about, um, uh, about acknowledging hurt um, that exists, uh, after service, one uh, of the, um, the congregation stopped me and wanted to talk to me for a minute, and uh, beautifully, beautifully, almost, it almost broke me, said um, uh, to me, I appreciate what you said about our hurt, and I want to own my part in our hurt and do what I can to help heal us. Man, if we all felt like that, if that was, our, if that was the attitude of our heart, how much hurt could we heal? Um, that, that sentiment, that um, expression showed to me uh, in this person the heart um, of a peacemaker, which is what we want to talk about today. We're talking about the Jesus way. We have been uh, for several weeks now. Jesus calls us to live in a particular way, putting his kingdom first in our lives. And in order to do that, he gives us this beautiful uh, message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's really kind of a manifesto, actually. It's, it's Jesus' um, proclamation of his kingdom's way of living in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he begins that in Matthew chapter 5 with eight statements that we know as the Beatitudes. That word Beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessing, which is how each of these statements start. Blessed are you. God has blessing for you when you live this way. And these eight statements really serve as the things that connect us deeply to God and to each other, to Jesus and to his kingdom. And as we live the Jesus way, these eight blessings need to become the central pillars of our life with Christ. And of course, as we've mentioned before, as we talk about blessing, we're not talking about the, um, uh, about the, the, the kind of modern Western 21st century Hobby Lobby kind of blessing uh, where, you know, we're talking about stuff or comfort or ease or happiness, but blessing, when Jesus talks about it, when the New Testament talks about it, nearly every time the word blessing is mentioned, it's talking about a deep and abiding relationship with God, that that's really what blessing is. And so when we talk about blessing and we hear Jesus say, blessed are you, we're talking uh, about receiving a state of divine joy that is based on our nearness to God and does not depend on worldly situations or material possessions. And when we live according to these blessings, these blessed ways of living, we receive a healing from God and we receive his presence in our lives and we are equipped then to do his will in the world. And so uh, just to recap, in Matthew chapter 5, we have taken a look at six of eight 
of those blessings so far. The first four really having to do with our relationship with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that is, those who are humble before God. Blessed are those who mourn, who are willing to acknowledge that things aren't all right, especially to acknowledge their sin before God. Blessed are the meek, those who are willing to be gentle like Jesus and under the control of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who long for the things of God above all else. And then we uh, slip into this next set of four which really have to do with our relationships with one another. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who will forgive each other. And blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who make God their highest priority and as they do so, begin to love their neighbor as God loves their neighbor. Which brings us to today, to the seventh of the Beatitudes, which we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It is the next to last one. And uh, here is what Jesus says to us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's children. Or in some translations, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Jesus, as he gives this blessing in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5, is speaking to a world that knows extraordinarily little of peace. Does that sound at all familiar to you? Uh, The world, by and large, knows very, very little of peace. Um, There's strife. There's hurt. There's war. There's violence in our world. In Jesus' day, uh, the only real peace that was ever really talked about was uh, called the Pax Romana, the Pax Romana, which uh, is Latin for the peace of Rome, or Roman peace. The the Roman uh, Empire said that it had peace for you. If you will come and be part of the Roman Empire, you will know peace. Um, Of course, uh, their version of that was to conquer you through military violence and make you join the empire. And then you will know peace. Peace at the point of a sword was Rome's kind of motto. And so any kind of real peace was, was very difficult to find. Jesus announces in his life a different kind of peace. In fact, he says to the disciples at one point, uh, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, I do not give as the world gives. I'm giving you a different kind of peace. Jesus' peace is um, more like the Old Testament word shalom. The Hebrew word shalom. Can you say shalom? I knew you could. That's our Mr. Rogers moment of the day, by the way. The Old Testament word shalom is the word that gets translated as peace, but it means something more than just not violent. When the Old Testament uses the word shalom or uses the word peace, what it's really talking about is kind of an idea of wholeness or an idea of, of the world as it ought to be, of life the way God intended it. And so when Jesus talks to us about being peacemakers, he's talking to us not just simply about avoiding violence or or working to end violence, although those are good and noble things, but he's calling us to be peacemakers to help the world be as it ought to be to help the 
the world and those who live in it draw nearer to God and to reflect his goodness and his mercy and his justice and and to help create and sustain this idea of a God-ordained wholeness in people's lives. Blessed are those who make the world better. Blessed are those who help people find wholeness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, what do we need to know about being a peacemaker as we, as we look to receive this blessing from Jesus, as we look to live out the Jesus way of being a peacemaker? What do we need to know about making peace? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that it's hard work. Peacemaking is hard work. Uh, I think that this beatitude comes near the end of this list for a reason. It's one of the hardest things that Jesus ever asks us to do, to be peacemakers. It's hard for us to live in peace, to promote peace, to, to help others find peace, because peace does not come naturally in our world. Did you know that in its 240, how old am I, 244 years of history, the United States has only not been at war for 19 years. For 19 years, our nation has had peace without military conflict. It's incredibly difficult to find Peace. It's hard to work for peace. It's hard to promote peace. It is not natural to us. Since the fall, peace has been shattered and broken. Since Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, there are broken relationships between humanity and the created world. There's broken relationships between humanity and our God, the Creator. There's broken relationships between uh, men and women, between Adam and Eve, and that brokenness is perpetuated generation by generation as we come across Cain and Abel in the very next chapter, and there's a broken relationship there where there is no peace in Cain's heart toward his brother Abel. Peace does not come naturally. It's hard work to be a peacemaker. We must be a people who are continually seeking the Spirit of God because part of the fruit of God's Spirit is peace. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, and the rest. And so peace comes to us by a dedicated, a dedicated relationship to pursuing the Spirit of God and a determined decision to live according to that spirit. That's what Paul seems to indicate to us in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, the first three verses, Paul speaks to us about the decision that is ours about peace. He says this, and note how he begins because it's important. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of what? Peace. 
Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord, as, as, someone who, as someone who does not know peace in this moment, says, we can still find peace through this, through this determined decision-making in our lives. You decide right now to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You decide right now to be completely humble and gentle. You decide to be patient. You decide to bear with one another in love. You decide to make every effort to keep unity through the bond of peace. It takes effort to live at peace. It requires humility of us. It requires gentleness and patience. It requires forgiveness. It requires grace. It requires grit and determination. Peace is not easy. It's hard work. Are we up to it? It's hard, but it's so necessary. In fact, peace is an absolute must for God's people. Peace is a non-negotiable for the church. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule, rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let the peace of Christ rule, let it hold sway, let it reign, let it be in control of your heart. What is in control of your heart? Is it peace? Is your heart determined that you be a peacemaker? Uh, what I think is really interesting about this verse, verse 15, um, is that it, it comes right before Paul's call in verse 16 to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs like we just did. Paul essentially is saying to us, listen, before you can gather to worship, you must be at peace. Before we can come together to praise God, we must come together in peace with one another. If we cannot live at peace, we cannot be God's church. Peacemaking is hard. But it's so important. Peacemaking builds on all of the Beatitudes that have come before. Peacemaking comes out of being poor in spirit, being humble. Peacemaking comes out of mourning, knowing that I have brokenness and sin in my life, and therefore I am going to acknowledge that there's brokenness and sin in other people's lives, not in a judgmental way, but in a caring way. Peace is born out of meekness, out of out of being gentle like Jesus. Peacemaking is born out of a hunger and thirst for righteousness, out of a hunger and thirst for God's things. Peacemaking is born out of mercy, out of an attitude of forgiveness. Peacemaking is born out of being pure in heart, out of loving God and loving our neighbors. And so as we begin to live the Jesus way and as we begin to live these, these blessings that God has given to us, we come to this blessing of peacemaking, this blessing that's so difficult, but everything that we've talked about up to this point begins to prepare us for the hard work of peacemaking. It is hard work, but it's so vital and it's so important because peacemaking overcomes evil. Peacemaking overcomes evil. Jesus is talked about in the scripture as the one who is our peace. 
Communion, which we just celebrated together, is known by many names um, throughout Christian history and by the church around the world. Sometimes it's called communion, sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called the Eucharist, and sometimes it's even called the peace of Christ. That's because Jesus is the one who brings wholeness and light into a broken and dark world. He is the peace in the midst of chaos. Jesus is the peace we cannot create on our own. Jesus is the one who restores us to right relationship with God and with each other and with the creation. In fact, even in the announcement of his birth, as the shepherds are out in the fields tending their sheep by night, the angel of the Lord appears The glory of the Lord shines around them. And they sing, glory to God in the heavens. And then they say what? Peace upon the earth. The announcement of Jesus' birth is the announcement of peace because Jesus is our peace. Because Jesus has come into the world and is beginning to overcome evil by bringing peace. By his very life, by his death, by his resurrection, Jesus is bringing us peace. And so the Bible calls us to be a part of Jesus' work. Jesus invites us to come along on his journey with him as we live in his ways, as we die to self, as we're raised to new life. We too become bringers of peace in our world so that evil might be overcome little by little. In fact, that's what Paul talks to us about in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. This is an amazing piece of scripture. Listen to what Paul writes. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, and if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul begins and ends this passage by talking about evil. He says, don't repay evil for evil at the beginning. And at the end, he says, overcome evil with good. Well, that's great, Paul. How do we do it? The answer is right there in the middle. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. That's how we begin to overcome evil. That's how we begin to bring good into the world. I love that phrase, as far as it depends on you. I love that phrase because it always depends on you. Every time. I have a friend that disagrees with me about that. Uh, I have a friend um, who really, he looks at this verse and he says, you know what? I want to live at peace, but there are just some people I cannot live at peace with. They have made that impossible. I look at him, I'm like, man, you are giving somebody else way too much control over your life. How often does it depend on you? It always depends on you. How often can we choose peace? We can always choose peace. 
We can always work to overcome evil by choosing to live at peace. You can choose peace no matter what. Listen, if Jesus can choose peace as they are nailing him to the cross, if Jesus can choose peace while they are beating him, as they are flaying flesh from bone, if Jesus can choose peace as they hammer a crown of thorns on his head with rods, if Jesus can say from the cross, Father, forgive them as they hurl insults at him, then you can choose peace. You can be part of overcoming evil by choosing peace. And when you do, not only do you receive this blessing from God that Jesus talks about in the Beatitude, but you actually begin to bring good into the world. James chapter 3 I don't know how many times in the series we've come back to James chapter 3. There must be something important there. James chapter 3 verse 18 says this, that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Do you want to see righteousness in the world? Do you want to see God's righteousness rooted and taking hold and growing and flourishing in the world around you? Do you want to see God's righteousness? Plant peace. Plant peace at every opportunity, with every person, in every situation. Choose to plant peace just like Jesus does, just like the Father does. Because essentially, peacemakers do their Father's work, don't they? Peacemakers do their Father's work. Our God is a God of peacemaking. Jesus is constantly bestowing peace on his encounters. Do a, do a, uh, go to BibleGateway.com and do a quick search for the word peace and take a look at the Gospels. It, it's peace be with you, go in peace, peace be with you, go in peace. Jesus is always bestowing peace on people. And that's good. Because we need a God who will make peace with us. After our sin damages that relationship with God, after our sin removes us out of God's favor and grace, we need a God who will make peace with us. And that's exactly what he does. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 24. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is in Jesus, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our God is a peacemaking God through the blood of Jesus. You and I have peace with God. Somebody say amen to that. We have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ because our God is a peacemaking God. And not only has God made peace between us and our Father, but he is at work to make peace between us and others. As one example, Paul says that God has been making peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and following, he says this, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Twice in that passage, Paul says that Jesus is putting hostility to death. He's breaking down the walls of hostility. That's what the Father does. The Father breaks down hostility and he brings peace. He brings peace between humanity and self. He brings peace between humanity and each other. And so now we're to be peacemakers as well. We're to break down hostility and help people live in wholeness. We're to be peacemakers with our brothers and our sisters. We're to be peacemakers even with our enemies. And we like to think of ourselves as God's children, don't we? We're Christians. We're God's children. You know, the Israelites thought the same thing. We're Jews. We're God's children. But Jesus says in our beatitude today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This beatitude is so uh, great to me. I love that, that idea, they will be called the children of God. You ever see um, a company a moving company or a fruit stand on the side of the road or, or some business that is so and so and sons? Have you seen this? That tells you something about the business, right? It tells you that it's a family business, that the children do what the father has done, right? That's the church. The church ought to be called, for all intents and purposes, Father God and children. When we're doing what God does. When we are being peacemakers. When we practice peacemaking, we truly are, in the deepest sense, God's children. Which, of course, begs the question, then, are you willing to be a peacemaker? Are you willing to do the hard work? There's a difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. We're very familiar with peacekeepers. They're law enforcement officers, they're soldiers who are sent into difficult places in order to maintain fragile stability. There's a difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. We need peacemakers. Peacekeepers believe that their job will always require a weapon. But peacemakers believe that their job will never require a weapon. We need Christians who are peacemakers, who are willing to lay down their weapons, who are willing to lay down the weapons of gossip, who are willing to lay down the weapon of anger, who are willing to lay down the weapon of slander, who are willing to lay down the weapon of holding grudges, who are willing to lay down the weapon of passive-aggressive, backhanded compliments. We need Christians who are willing to lay down the weapon of deceit and lay down the weapon 
of falsehood. We need Christians who are willing to lay down the weapon of being disingenuous with each other. We need Christians who are willing to lay down those weapons of judgment and help bring wholeness into the world. And may it start here with us. May we commit ourselves to being peacemakers. In order to help us wrap our heads around this, here are our action steps this week. There are three things I'd like to invite you to do with me this week. I'd like to invite you to read and try your hand at memorizing 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It's a beautiful verse about peacemaking. Would you read this week and try your hand at memorizing? Try to memorize. See what happens. Try to memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. And then would you pray with me also this week, this prayer that comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Would you pray that with me this week? God, teach us to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then finally, let me invite you to do something as well. Would you make peace? this week. Make peace with those whom you might have disagreement with. Make peace with those who may have wronged you in some way, if you can. Take steps toward making peace with those who think differently than you, talk differently than you, behave differently than you. If there is hurt in your life, Choose to be a peacemaker as far as it depends upon you and it always depends upon you. Make peace with those around you. I saw a video the other day that was very disturbing to me. It was incredibly disturbing. I saw a video the other day of a Christian who posted a sign outside of a co-worker's office that was designed to intentionally hurt them because they disagreed with them. Isn't there enough hurt in the world already? Isn't there enough brokenness? Isn't there enough anger? Isn't there enough violence already? We do not need more of that. We need more healing, more goodness, more wholeness, more peace. So in a world of brokenness and strife where people too often still try to live by the Pax Romana, peace at the end of a sword. Let's learn to be genuine peacemakers. May the peace of Christ reign in us and may peace begin with us. May peace continue as we make peace and live in peace with each other. And may a world that is absolutely exhausted and tired of bitter fighting see the peace of Christ in his church. May they come to know peace as well. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus and for his blessing to us that we may know peace. Peace with you, peace with each other. Through his blood shed on the cross, Father, help us to understand 
and passionately believe that it is not enough that we personally know peace. Help us to become peacemakers, following in the footsteps of Jesus, taking up the business of our Father. Help us to make peace in our world, to bring goodness and wholeness, to bring shalom, to bring a sense of sanity to the chaos, to bring healing to the hurt. Father, may peace reign in our lives in this church with this people, I pray. And then may your peace go out from us that others might come to know the peace of Christ that can be theirs. In the name of Jesus and in your spirit's power, we all pray together. Amen.